So our renewal value, I, I have it up on the screen. You can uh, read it, and then we're going to jump in. This is what it says. We experience God's restorative power flowing into and mending the broken and hurting places. And we join the stream of this grand renewal project by making known the all-encompassing love of Jesus in our neighborhood and city. As many of you know, our, our vision is joining God in the renewal of all things. And that framework really came out of a, a, a verse at the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21, where we see a picture of uh, what's going to happen at the, the end of the story. Revelation 21.5 says, He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Making everything new. There's a promise in the Bible that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. That all that was corrupt and all that was evil and all that was broken will be restored. That we as people that are followers of Christ will not only be made innocent again, but will be made good, right? We'll start to live up to what we've already attained in Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth. And I think some people have made a mistake. I think we've looked at the idea of Jesus coming back again, and we've kind of had this, uh, well, the world is evil, therefore I'm going to hide out in my, out of the way and kind of disengage. Sit back and wait for Jesus to come back. And worse, maybe actively condemn or judge everybody else, right, as we sit back and wait. Believing that the world is headed for destruction, so why even care? The earth is going to be destroyed, so we don't really have to be worried about anything but telling other people about the coming judgment and wrath of God. Yet Jesus came to earth in the flesh and did not seem to live his life that way. He seemed to take action in the world. He seemed to be about the renewal of the people right in front of him in the context and the cultures and the systems and structures that were broken. So really this, in some ways, this view of what renewal is, is a radical value in light of many Christians who've had somewhat of a fatalistic mindset about the world in its current form. I think it's also a little bit radical in light of the cultural undertones that are pervasive today. Uh, I was thinking that, you know, you can kind of tell a lot about a culture by the art it produces. Have you ever thought about that before? And so I'm going to just give an example from TV, all right? This is art that is formed. If you look at Netflix, and over the last, like, 10 years, what are the most popular shows out there? Ozark, right? House of Cards was really popular on Netflix for a while. Breaking Bad, right? Mad Men. I mean, there are, there are many, many others that we could look at. Maybe some of you haven't watched any of those shows, and I wouldn't challenge you to do so. <laughs> But they are good in their own way. They're, there's, um, they're amazing stories. The people are extremely creative. But there's almost no glimmer of hope and beauty in these works. It's really a display of a godless society with almost no hope 
for the future. These shows are about survival, about power, about violence, about sex. And they are interesting and they are well done shows for sure, but they certainly don't leave us thinking about beauty and hope and the goodness of God. But the scriptures are different than that narrative. There's different than the world's perspective and many Christians' perspective. The scriptures are different. It isn't fatalistic. It isn't hope, hopeless. Instead, it's filled with the hope that is promised in the person of the Messiah. And Jesus comes and he has inaugurated, says in the Bible, a sweeping movement of reform and restoration which culminates in the renewal of all things in the end of days. And the scripture says essentially that ever since Adam sinned and ruptured God's good creation, God has been about involving himself in human history to restore and to renew the world. See, Adam and Eve's sins, rebellions, set off this cataclysmic rift that impacted the physical and spiritual realms. And the Bible has this unique perspective. We are so individualistic, we think about mistakes that we make as ours and ours alone to carry. The Bible thinks about things much more corporately, much more uh, communal, communally. And so Adam, it says that when he failed, when he sinned, all of humanity sinned. That he was kind of like this figurehead for all the human race. And when he ruptured God's good creation with sin, it caused this cataclysmic impact. And then the Bible points to this new Adam and this, this figure that would come and we know it to be the person of Jesus. And he is understood as the new Adam. This is a phrase used in theology and in the scriptures. You see, what's happening is there's these two kind of figureheads, these two heads of creation. One is Adam, and in Adam all have sinned, and in Christ all have come to life. Jesus succeeds where Adam fails. He is sort of humanity's redeeming or second shot. So there was a man um, named uh, Irenaeus who was uh, alive during the second century. And he's a famous theologian. And he put forth uh, a theological term in imagery of atonement that I actually think is really helpful to understand the idea of renewal and what the Bible's telling us about. Some of you have maybe never heard of Irenaeus, and that's okay. Um, he is uh, a well-known patristic, if you are interested in that time period of theology. And what he put forward was that Jesus' whole life was about reversing the curse of sin. His whole life was about making atonement for what had gone wrong. So the phrase that he uses is this real a technical term called recapitulation. Has everyone ever heard that term before? Recapitulation. Can everybody say it? Recapitulation. Congratulations, you're all theologians today. This is a very important term that Protestants haven't really focused on, but I think helps us understand this idea of, of renewal. 
So most of us, when we think about the atonement, we think about uh, maybe the Christus victor, or which is Jesus defeating Satan, or uh, substitutionary atonement, where Jesus takes our place. And I think the Bible uses lots of imagery and analogies and, and ways to help us understand what Jesus did to save us. And they're all important, and I actually think they're all, they're all true, if understood correctly. And I hold to these different theories because I think it helps us give this full picture of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. But the basic idea of recapitulation is this, that what Jesus did was reverse or recapitulate the evil brought about by the fall through the sin of Adam. His atoning works, which, which I would, you could use a term like uh, recapitulate, renew, uh, you could use the term re- redo, those sorts of things, begins with his birth and ends with his resurrection. And during his life, he renews all that was destroyed and regains all that was lost. In some sense, Jesus rethought or respoke or relived the entire scope of human existence since the fall of Adam and succeeded. This is what Irenaeus was trying to to get for, before everybody. So here, Jesus is this new Adam, and he, throughout his life, systematically undoes what Adam did. He succeeds where Adam fails. He undoes the wrong that Adam did, and because of his union with humanity, he leads humankind onto eternal life. Brings about the reversal of death. And so here are the connections that Irenaeus made between Adam and Christ from the Bible. I want to read these to you, and I'm going to add some that I think will help us today. This is what he says. These are just a few of them. They're not all of them. But he says, Adam had no physical father, so Christ had no physical father. Whereas Adam brought about disobedience and descent, Christ affected obedience and descent. Whereas Adam engaged in disobedience via a tree, Christ displayed obedience on a tree, the cross. Whereas Adam was tempted not being hungry, Christ was tempted while hungry. While Adam was tempted and defeated by the devil, Christ was tempted but conquered the devil. Whereas Adam plunged all into death by sin, Christ elevated all to life by obedience. So as I said, Christ is the new Adam who systematically undoes what Adam did. Recapitulation is the final repetition, the summing up, drawing to the conclusion. You know when you give a speech, at the end of a speech you typically give some sort of like um, conclusion statement, right? You kind of give this, your strongest ar- uh, argument, you give a summary statement of all that was said before. And Jesus is God's summary statement. So where do you see this in scripture? You might be like, I don't really know about this. Like Irenaeus guy, I've never heard of him before. You know, it seems kind of weird some of the things he's talking about. Adam's physical father, I don't, I don't really get all this. Well, let's just look at a few passages of scripture that I think will help us see this. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Another example is in Romans 5. I'm just going to read a a little section there, but I think it highlights this over and over again. This is what it says. Therefore, just as sin, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. For the many... For if the many died for the trespasses of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of this one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. 
the judgment follows one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Do you guys see how this is like playing out, how, what we're just talking about? For if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man of the many we were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man many will be made righteous. Isn't that a beautiful text of what's happening in Adam and now in Christ? what we're talking about when we're talking about this idea of recapitulation, how Jesus is making atonement by his life. And so I think that that's Irenaeus's point, but I think that there's, there's even more. Jesus in his life is consistently making atonement for all that's broken. So I started thinking about all the ways in which our world is broken. Have you ever thought about that before? It's kind of depressing, right? So I just came up with a list of about 12 things, all right, that are really hard and that are, and how did Jesus address those in the midst of his life? Number one, there's hunger in the world. Jesus feeds 5,000, does he not? Isn't that a cool imagery? Okay, there's hunger, Jesus responds. There's demon possession in the world. Jesus casts out demons and defeats Satan. There's physical impairment. So Jesus spends his life healing the blind and healing the deaf and healing the, uh, the, uh, a woman that's bleeding. Jesus gives sight, hearing, health, right? Diseases, we have diseases that, that wouldn't have been part of the original, God's original creation, like leprosy. And Jesus not only heals but touches, right? And engages those that have been outcasted by these sicknesses. There's dominating power. Jesus subverts the power of his day in so many ways, in different parables and different sermons and different ways of speaking. The lessening or, uh, of women, we see this in that cultural context that Jesus is in and in our context today, but Jesus constantly lifts up and empower women in ways that were unheard of during his day. We have death, right? that's, a, that's a result of the brokenness of the world and Jesus resurrects, I thought of Lazarus. And other examples. There's greed that Jesus addresses, constant greed, yet Jesus is generous, giving up all that he has for the sake of others. There's racism, right? The Jewish people are racist against the Samaritans, yet Jesus constantly subverts their beliefs through parables. And their understanding is that the Samaritans are the ones getting things right, while the people of God are missing the Messiah. There's classism, and we just see over and over and over again Jesus lifting up and honoring the poor. There's corruption, political corruption, and Jesus goes and flips their tables. There's temptation, and Jesus resists and relies on the power of the Holy Spirit. So these are the, this is my, my, my kind of thrust this morning, is that Jesus, not only in these major ways of going to the cross, though that's the, the, the pivotal, the most important, like the, the one that we look to, but there's ways in which Jesus is, is constantly confronting evil, constantly about this renewal project, constantly making atonement in his life for sin. So my theory this morning is this. In the same way that Jesus was about renewal in his life and in those ways, we are supposed to be about the same things. 
I know, brilliant, right? You guys are like, of course, I already know that. It's not very profound. If Jesus really is the representative for humanity that we're supposed to, he, he is the one whose actions our lives should follow. Now, I know that we can't make atonement for people's sin in the way that Christ did. But it seems that if Jesus spent his life participating and bringing about renewal for other people, fighting back against the evil and sinful realities of his world, so should we. And this isn't an earning of favor from God. This is the desire to live into the life that Jesus gives and shows us. I love it in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, the, 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 the verse, I think it's verse like 17, it says, Christ's love compels us. So often we talk about doing the right thing and, and trying to make things, you know, muster up some goodness and just try to be holy, right? And I, I, I think that that's just kind of, sometimes we have to do that, right? But the overarching image of scripture in following Jesus is that Christ's love, when truly understood, compels us to live a life that we're talking about today. Jesus calls us to follow him and join in in the renewal of all things. And it looks like the simple and the hard acts that we read about and talked about above. I think the reason I'm stating all this is that it's easy to get depressed and down about the state of the world. It's easy to get depressed and down even about our own lives at times. It's easy to look at things and just throw up our hands and say, well, what difference does it make that I try to do anything that's good? And sometimes even pastors say, you can't do anything. Just trust in God's grace to, to do it all. And that's like, yeah, I, I understand what you're trying to get at. But I think that Jesus is inviting us in to follow in his footsteps, footsteps. invites us into the project that maybe even our feeble attempts are embraced and used by God in ways that we can't even fathom. I've shared this before, but I think it, it roots us in what I think God gave us a vision for many, many years ago. When we were about ready to start Missio Day Uptown, um, it was overwhelming to think about pastoring and, and being part of a church in a community of this big of an area. Like Uptown's huge, right? There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And what are we saying? We're saying we want to join God in the renewal of all things. Like that's an overwhelming proposition. <laughs> We're just a couple hundred people at best, right? And I remember standing on the Lawrence uh, train station when actually you could go on the Lawrence train station and uh, take a train. Can't do that for the last two years and many years to come, it seems like. But it was an overcast day, like a really, really overcast day. It was dark, actually. And I stood up on that platform and I was waiting for the train. All of a sudden, uh, little rays of light, like streams of light, kind of started breaking through at different parts of this overcast sky. You ever seen something like that where just like kind of beams of light? And they're kind of going all over the place. And there were 10 or 15 beams of light shining through this incredibly dark sky. And it was on different random houses and different buildings throughout up, uptown. 
And that became like a pivotal moment for me because I thought, okay, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? The kingdom of God is small, <laughs> the smallest of seeds, but when it sprouts, it grows. And I just imagine when we were, we were, were starting this community and we were thinking about what it meant to be the church is what if it was kind of like the, the beams of light just breaking through? Maybe it shines on Wilson Abbey, right? Maybe it's shining on the friendly towers. Maybe there's, well, there are, 15, 20, 50 people living just within a couple blocks of here, different apartments and different condos and different shelters and different nursing homes. And what if those beams of light just start breaking in in these really small places? And we begin to see in small ways God's renewing work take place here in, in the neighborhood of Uptown. Maybe it's already been going on. <laughs> that was one thing that was revealed to me. You're not here to save anything. People and Christians and churches and people have been here for generations, way before you and way after, and God's been at work, and you just get to join in with that. I believe that as a church, we are compelled by Christ's love. We are compelled by the end of the story that God is going to make all things new. And just like Jesus, who is our example, right? Who is both our savior and our example of how to live our lives, we get to join in in loving and serving and subverting and standing up against evil in our world and standing up for people that God loves. We won't do it perfectly, but we can set our hearts and our actions towards following Jesus, the one who reversed the curse, the one who is the new Adam, the one who came and gives life and hope for a future. Amen?